Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here, you can take a break. Under the guise of uh, wishful thinking, Okay, I'm playing happy music, right? Hoping that the interview's happy. Joining me, well, I mean, Woody's generally happy. Happy, happy if not upbeat, but... Yeah, so I'm trying to, like, you know, these are normally not happy. Um, happy, inter- well, I, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes they are. Um, so Chris Woodbridge joins us, the editor and publisher of the Marine Corps Gazette, the publisher of Leatherneck Magazine, and retired colonel, United States Marine Corps. So, uh, what do you you are you are you an Olympics guy? Uh, do you watch the Olympics? You know, I've been uh, I've been watching the highlights. It's not it, it it's not like it used to be. I, I just remember you know back in the back when I was a kid, uh, you know, seventies. Uh, you know, you you were glued to that uh, coverage. Uh, whatever time of day or night it was on, it's like you, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't, you know, not, not watch. And, you know, it was the old, uh, the old ABC wide world of sports show, (laughs) Jim McKay and great announcers like that. You had, uh, you had, you just, it it became like a family, uh, family experience. And, you know, you were always watching, uh, uh, us athletes performance and, you know, tracking the medal count and all that sort of thing. And, uh, of course, all the way up through the uh, the early '80s, and and then uh, I think honestly, with the uh, with the end of the Soviet Union, things started to change. <laughs> we didn't have uh, we didn't have that same kind of competition anymore. The uh, yeah, you know, when we were growing up, it was uh, it was it was what you did at night with your family, right? The uh, you kind of got around the TV, and uh, and. The Cold War was in in full swing. The the fight against good versus the Red Menace, and uh, and we watched that. And uh, you know what? Uh, I can't remember how old I was. Uh, you and I aren't that far apart in age. The um, but when the when the American basketball team lost that game in Munich, I mean, I cr- I cried. I think I was like thirteen. <laughs> I think I was like thirteen. I mean, devastated devastated by that loss and um but it was yeah it was all consuming i haven't watched so much you know i think that uh for me uh i know the the politics that have bled into uh the olympics this year uh make it to me uh i don't know how you go represent your country and then disrespect your country and um and uh so i uh it certainly limited you know my watching I agree completely. And, uh, it, it, it fascinates me, you know, just the, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the television media, uh, you know, main, mainline and, and, uh, uh, and cable networks manipulating the coverage of, uh, of the events and, you know, what should be celebrated, I think as, uh, you know, as U S, uh, U S victories. I mean, the fact is the U S team is dominating all the shooting sports, um, you've had, uh, a couple of our fencers, uh, uh, medal 
you know, historically the first time an American has ever taken an individual foil uh, uh, medal. Uh, it, you know, really some of the more obscure sports, perhaps, right. uh, but but still, uh, you know, contributions, performance by those uh, those athletes that that should be recognized and and celebrated. And no, we we we'd rather it seems televise uh, uh, you know other other international teams' performance, even even against the U.S. Uh, on those major networks. And uh, you know, it's it's really pretty bizarre to me. Yeah. Well, you know what? And you know, because that will fit the storyline and. That's what we get. So, um, the, well, um, the, other, the other factor, and you mentioned uh, Munich. Uh, uh, you know, we, we say politics are, are are in the games now. Politics have always been in the games, and sometimes in a really uh, uh, tragic and violent way. Uh, I still remember the the, the hostage crisis and, uh, and, uh, and 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 bloodbath of a, of a attempted hostage rescue at the Munich Olympics when I was, you know, when I was a kid and it's like, what do you remember what? Jim? It was cause Jim McKay came on from the ABC studio in Munich. And that's, I think how most of the world learns of that. And you see the look on his face. I mean, Jim McKay is the wide world of sports guy. He's the, you know, he's the Olympic guy. He's, yeah, and I, he's and not the terrorism guy. No. And, um, and again, this is before the bombing in Beirut. Right, mm-hmm. so this is probably would it be the one of the first great acts of terrorism that's kind of seen, maybe not live on TV, but but broadcast around the world on TV. Yes, that's correct, and and uh, and and uh, philosophically, and uh, let's let's call it uh, uh, by uh, 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 you know ancestry, if you will, the same players, the same organizations yeah. uh, involved. Uh, uh, Islamic uh, Islamic Brotherhood uh, out of out of Egypt and uh, Palestinians and and the the backing of the same governments in the region, uh, you know, really really just horrible horrible uh, uh, event, and that a lot of people just flat out don't remember. Right, right. No, if you would show it to them, um, they would look at you and say, "What are you talking about? You're crazy," and. Uh, it's kind of like the same look you get when you say Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. What? <laughs> what? And then that the, the Dixiecrats, right? Mm-hmm. The Democrats are the party of Jim Crow. What? I mean, I remember being, I'm like, I remember getting into, I mean, just things people don't know, like as you just alluded to, but it's like, look, I'm not being, I'm not a partisan, you know, but if you check your facts, okay, exactly. that's just a historical fact. Refuse to believe you, and then get get a call a few days later, like, "Hey, uh, thank you. I didn't know that." I said, "Yeah, well, it was obvious from the from the argument you were crafting. You didn't know that. I just thought I'd point it out to you." So, yeah, sometimes truth is inconvenient. The um, um, let's talk about the Gazette this month. Uh, first of all, uh, does it have a theme? So we're on that, uh, and I'll I'll uh, I'll use this as an opportunity to to do a twofer because uh, nice. we didn't we didn't talk uh, uh, the July edition uh, all that much, uh, which is the the issue that's actually uh, uh, out on the out on the street right now. We just we just uh, dropped the August edition online last week and should be showing up in people's mailboxes uh, uh, thick and fast right now, but. 
your uh, your July edition was a, a historic first, which was a focus area on Marine Corps recruiting. Um, and then the August edition is the annual um, acquisitions themed uh, issue, which focuses on when you think about it, these sort of complement each other. This is the the software and the hardware uh, of of creating the force of 2030. Um, you know how we go about uh, and and really, I gotta I gotta stump for that July edition because, like a lot of things in the Marine Corps, recruiting is one of those areas that unless you've served on recruiting duty, uh, and I personally have not. Um, but unless you've served on recruiting duty, you really don't understand it at all. You know it's out there, but you don't know uh, any of the details below the, uh, you know, kind of the, the the headline bumper sticker level. And uh, the July edition does a really good job. Uh, uh, General Jason Bohm and uh, and Colonel Jeff Morgan did a did a super job of collecting input from throughout uh, McRick headquarters and and from the field. Uh, and, and put together a what what is really a very good primer on uh, the details of recruiting duty uh, and how that what really is the most important mission outside of combat for the Marine Corps uh, how that is accomplished uh, by the recruiting workforce you know on a daily basis across the country and and, and really around the world when you look at, uh, at where our where our recruiting regions touch in the in the Pacific in particular. So you've got a um, you've got a good uh, overview, detailed uh, uh, primer on that in the uh, in the July edition that I I recommend every every Marine read because again unless you've served there and you've been in that fight you really don't understand what that's uh, what that's about. Um, do they then, do they address? Because I know there's there's been uh, much discussion about um, the Marine Corps. Uh, new force design and the ability to recruit older, more mature, smarter um, recruits, applicants to fill um, this force. Um, is there any discussion of that? Because I know there's there's a lot of interest in like, okay, I hear what everybody's saying. You know, when you talk to recruiters, you know how hard they have to to work to recruit the force that they recruit now, this force of the future sounds like a little bit more difficult. Well, I won't say a little bit, much more difficult to recruit. Do, do they talk about that at all? Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, the uh, uh, probably the most relevant uh, th that as a theme touches uh, uh, many of the articles that were put in by uh, okay. by recruiting command, but in particular, um, on page fourteen of the July magazine, there's an article entitled "Brand Maneuver." Uh, and that subtitled Connecting the Core to Generation Z and Beyond. Uh, author is Lieutenant Colonel Christian Devine, who's, uh, who's up in the, uh, in the MICRIC headquarters. And um, what this really talks about is it's, it's more than just recruiting the challenges of recruiting uh, the right skill sets, if you will, for uh, the force of 2030. It's about connecting the Marine Corps' brand to uh, younger Americans, uh, you know, you can you can kind of use the um, uh, you know loose uh, uh, term of Generation Z. Uh, so you know, uh, characterize that as uh, as as American uh, men and women, you know, born uh, uh, really uh, in in the the early aughts of uh, of the 21st century. Um, 
born uh, and never been without uh, smart device technology, never being without uh, social media, the internet. Um, and also, and this is the key point, uh, while they're while they're not going without those aspects of technology, in some regards, what they are going without is the very clear mission that the the group or the the cohort just prior to them, uh, you know, the the nine eleven early two thousands uh, uh, population had, and that the Marine Corps was able to message to that population. Uh, you know, you you knew if you were joining the Marine Corps in uh, the early 2000s, uh, pretty much exactly why you were joining and what you were going to be doing. And the Marine Corps had this uh, uh, natural comfort of that institutional culture of war fighting that that could be messaged to that population to uh, uh, to to do our recruiting mission. Well, the fact is now we're not deploying that same way. We're, we're not involved in heel-to-toe combat deployments. Um, but as a challenge, many, many leaders grew up in that world. And so they have expectations of, uh, you know, what the younger Marines will, will uh, uh, kind of uh, inherently understand about the mission that really needs to be explained to them now because it's not the same. And so catching up with that as a recruiting, you know, force of recruiting professionals, catching up with that in the um, in the messaging, meaning meaning the marketing uh, uh, advertising campaign that underpins the entire recruiting effort. Uh, you know, everybody everybody loves to watch a good Marine Corps ad on uh, on television. They're 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 extremely well done professional strategic communications products, but tailoring those for this Generation Z and beyond audience, uh, so so those even younger right now, uh, but but hitting that hitting that 17, 18 year old uh, milestone in in their lives when uh, they are uh, you know wandering around America and don't know they're going to join the Marine Corps yet, um, you know reaching that population uh, is is a real challenge. You know, Woody, and and then you 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 hear guys like Dale Alford talk, and you know that this force of the future is going to change, and we're not going to need as many because we're going to be, as I read it, we're going to be more mature, which means we'll we'll retain more, which means the the opening in the funnel will the diameter of that opening will uh, will constrict. Um, is all that discussed as well, or or not? Because uh, some of the implications of of force design are are pretty interesting, you know, when yes. you talk about how, you know, so these small units that, of Marines that are going to exist are going to change fundamentally. Um, you know, you, I've heard it articulated: uh, we will no longer be, you know, young Americans with guns, right? We will be older, mature, you know, Marines, you know, who who. Yeah, I would characterize it like that. Uh, no, I, much I, more seasoned, um, uh, small units, which means that the that the aperture at the bottom, the intake, is going to be, you know, much. Well, I, I don't I don't know what percentage smaller, but certainly smaller. That you know, so I, w- I would answer that qu- that question: yes and no. Um, yes, it's certainly recognized, but no. And, and for the right reasons, that's actually less of a 
uh, driving factor for the recruiting mission um, than, you know, frankly, bringing in the right numbers of the right qualified people. Right. And and the simple reason is what what you're describing and what uh, what General Alfred talks about and others, uh, particularly in the training and education uh, continuum, talk about, often is very specific to uh, ground combat arms and specifically infantry formations, infantry units, and the Marines that make them up. Um, and that is that is the main effort still of the Marine Corps. That is that close combat uh, uh, function is. Uh, really what the Marine Corps brings to the table. And the character of that function is indeed changing as, as we, cha- we, we shape the force and as the, as the threat evolves. But I would also submit to you, and I think this is, this is, is, is pretty readily apparent, that um, across MOSs, across the population of the force, there are some areas where there aren't going to be that much of a change. Um, there's still going to be young Americans, not necessarily with guns, although they will all be riflemen, um, certainly qualified on the, on the service weapon. Um, and with all that goes along with that, as far as maintaining a warrior ethos, um, but there are going to be young Americans with, uh, you know, wrenches, uh, socket sets, computer terminals, uh, uh trucks, et cetera. And so, um, you know, th- there is still, uh, a, a quantity problem, uh, that has to be overcome. And, uh, you know, some of those challenges that just just to making mission, just to achieving the quantity um, is uh, uh, is is really laid out very well in that article. And I'll 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 pull a few quotes here for you because they may be uh, uh, you know, worthy of, uh, of some discussion this morning. Um, so some of the challenges of this Generation Z and beyond as as a target for how the Marine Corps traditionally markets. Uh, the value of being a member, you know, being a Marine. Um, the uh, the new generation um, challenge, quote unquote, American exceptionalism. And a, there's a significant declining interest in the military as a life consideration. Um, they exhibit strong views on diversity and inclusiveness. Uh, women are ascending to lead across public and private sectors. They seek participation in causes they deem worthy climate change, social equality, et cetera, but spurn traditional hierarchies. Um, They aspire to be global, quote, do-gooders. Do not align with military challenges as posed in the national defense strategy or great power competition. They have a strong belief that robotics, drones, artificial intelligence will perform future warfighting functions. Uh, This is an interesting point. They experience, quote, unquote, connected loneliness, experienced by coupling technology and social media with a culture of radical individualism and a fear of missing out um, and digital digital narcissism resulting in social alienation and elevated depression levels. Um, they're risk averse, expanded adolescence and a willingness to defer adulthood into the mid to late 20s. So very interesting characteristics of that, um, that population uh, that now is what recruiters must draw from to find the the most qualified and and, uh, and willing individuals to join uh, to join the Marine Corps. So uh, so interesting points there across the board. It's a uh, you know <laughs> we say it's a different world and and yes it is yes it is in a lot of ways. Wow, wow. So the whole July issue um, devoted to uh, recruiting for the first time ever. 
I would say about half of the magazine is uh, is recruited to or is uh, devoted to recruiting, and the other half is our uh, uh, I don't want to say standard, but our our mix of trending topics. Um, also, have to point out that in the July edition, you have uh, the uh, uh, Lieutenant General Adignan, the Deputy Commandant for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, um, and his uh, uh, Deputy for uh, Manpower Policy. Um, writing on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Marine Corps. And in many ways, this is, um, uh, I don't want to say in response, but this is the services position and numbers that back it up uh, with regard to a lot of uh, the exchanges that you've seen really over the last 18 months on the on the Gazette blog and in, in other media um, about the uh, uh uh, perceived and actual challenges uh, of diversity in the Marine Corps as an as an organization. So very, very um, numbers based article. Um, it probably will. Well, actually, <laughs> as the editor, I know for a fact it has uh, it has already uh, uh, drawn some very strong emotional uh, responses from uh, the Alumni Association, which I I, uh, I call the the veteran community of Marines. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I hear from them all the time, and and to me, um, the hue and cry from the alumni association is the, the the discussion of diversity and inclusion, right ahead of the discussion of operational excellence is wrong headed, right? We're Americans. We understand this, but we're watching the Bonhomme Richard burn up at Pierside. We're watching, right, a lawsuit last week being filed by families of eight Marines and one sailor that drowned a year ago last week, right? We're hearing the investigations. We're seeing nothing but declining operational discipline and capacity it's it seems like in the american military and it seems like we're not about being a great military anymore we believe we have fought for diversity and inclusion in our lives and it seems like this discussion is out of whack because operational excellence never ever comes up and it's killing people and I mean to include I mean the litany of, of of things that you know the Navy, you know has gone through to include last week revealing that a sailor will be charged with arson, you know of you know in the case of the Bonhomme Richard, and so I don't know if you heard different um, a, a different hue and cry, but that's what I hear from them is this frustration that we do not hear the people that lead the services lead with within the context of operational excellence we are all about this and i had a discussion with somebody about you know when uh i think it was admiral gilday was getting you know grilled about you know his recommendations for the cno's reading list right uh including you know books that extol the virtue of critical race theory and you know we were talking and i said well you know as i as i thought about this what would I want to hear the CNO say? And I said, and I think this is a frustration of many. Well, I think what I want would want him to hear him say is that, well, Senator, 
You have to understand that that was one of three books that I recommended. The other written by conservative, you know, black writer and and activist, Shelby Steele. And then a third by a moderate by the name of so-and-so, so-and-so. We will use this discussion as a means to reinforce the critical thinking abilities of sailors. And we will do this with everything, every hard issue that we tackle, unafraid to tackle it, looking at it on, on a broad scale so that we encompass all the ideas and expose sailors and Marines to this entire discussion. And from that, we will sharpen their ability to look at any issue. And that's what we see our responsibility as. But what do you, you just don't hear that. And it's, you look at it and, you know, it's like race to being most woke. And so, so and again, you, uh, and again, we are the, we are the children that grew up in the civil rights era. We're not foreign to this argument. We get it. We fought for it, you know, and we practice it, you know, for, for us, you know, our entire adult lives. Color did not matter to us, right? Gender did not. Can you do the work was the question. So I think that's the, that, that's the frustration. Operational excellence, right? And we're watching ships run into each other. We're watching ships burn up. We're watching, you know, airplanes clip tankers. We're watching AV sink. And when you line all these investigations up, it's incompetence, utter incompetence and lack of operational discipline. Do you hear different than I hear? The answer to your question, yes and no, again. So um, sadly, yes, I do hear uh, some different criticisms, which I uh, obviously would, would never publish, uh, would never right. put anywhere near the public eye because they're, frankly, uh, blatantly racist. Um, and, and there is still a lot of that uh, out there. Um, and that's, that's not just among the, the veteran population. I think that's among society at large. Um, and it's, and it's toxic. Um, but beyond that, I mean, and you know that when you see it and hear it, um, beyond that, yes, I do hear, uh, a lot of the same points that, uh, that you just made and what I think is really missing from the discussion. So, um, we have, uh, ample, ample discussion of, uh, uh, diversity inclusion. Uh, we have the, what I'll call the ground truth report uh, from the deputy commandant for MNRA in the July edition, broken down by the numbers. Um, and, and as a, if you, if you want to look at that as a report card, um, you know, the Marine Corps isn't doing badly uh, in, in, you know, through that lens of, of diversity as expressed by uh, percentages of the entire force accounted for by their their ethnic group white black hispanic asian pacific american indian etc well, i think and here's and I, th I don't know if you and i have talked about this before Woody, but when you look at those numbers it's a success story the marine corps is disproportionately black and hispanic in in, in the senior staff nco ranks and they grow that portion relative to the the numbers that walk through the door to the numbers that that stay in right uh, to me the thing that you could be most critical of is, you know, you know, black general officers. Well, That's the truth right. is, if you have if you have the what it takes to be a general officer in the Marine Corps and you happen to be black or Hispanic, 
every door in the world is open to you, and that is a really, really competitive space, truth be told. If you have that pedigree, why would you want to be in the Marine Corps when every door is open to you? And so I, I think one of the footnotes that isn't told is how competitive that space is for that, for that group of, of, of men and women who have those kind of credentials. Everybody in the world is looking for them. That's right. To finish, uh, to finish the, the, uh, Sorry. the thought. No, that's okay, Mac. The, to finish the thought. So you've got this, uh, what I would submit is, as, and I agree with you, a very positive, quote unquote, report card um, with some notable uh, uh, or at least uh, obvious uh, uh, anomalies. And that is specifically in African-American uh, senior officers, so field grade and above, and particularly African-American general officers. Right. Okay, um, if that if that is is the report card, what is the linkage? And this is to your point. What is the connecting file, the linkage between that good news story and operational effectiveness, combat readiness? And I, I submit to you that the factor that is is not talked about is cohesion. How does the leadership of the service and how do leaders at every level train and employ this diverse force to be effective in Marine Corps operations across the MAGTAF and across the supporting establishment? And I'd submit to you that it's the ability to develop cohesion at the unit level, whether that's small unit or, or large you know, major, major command formation is the, the, the quote-unquote secret sauce that really needs to be focused on. Um, but unfortunately, I think that does not fit in uh, with uh, the, the, the drumbeat narrative of uh, uh, race relations in this country. Right. Uh, because ultimately, cohesion requires a certain amount of self-subordination. All right? You have to recognize as an individual that you are going to subordinate yourself as an individual to the needs and the effectiveness of the group. And you do that because you recognize that everyone is doing that. And that's what it takes to develop that cohesion. You are, you are respected as an individual. You are not discriminated against. And, and you become part of that team. And uh, again, that is uh, I don't want to say a taboo subject, but certainly something that's not being uh, uh, actively looked at uh, because it does not it does not fit the narrative. Um, to your point about uh, the challenges of retaining, again, what what looks great at the entry level for both enlisted and officers, as far as that demographic mix goes, uh, the challenge becomes retaining that at senior levels. Um, not, not as much of a challenge at the senior staff NCO level, but at the officer level, a huge challenge because of those other opportunities. Um, and, and it's a challenge on a number of, uh, on a number of, of fronts. I'll pull a, a quote again from this article and, uh, civilian businesses have the luxury of bringing in diverse talent at any level in their hiring processes. The Marine Corps cannot create diversity at senior officer levels. We have to grow our own. That pre creates that challenge because of these other opportunities uh, that exist outside the Marine Corps. And in many ways, the Marine Corps is part of a, uh, uh, a given officer's career path 
not their entire career path. Um, you have to put that in. You have to put that in in contrast to another quote from this article, and I'd really like to know, uh, uh, you know what you and your and your listeners think. So, the quote being, "If we are doing this right, and we promote and retain equitably across the force, the Brigadier General Officer population in 2048 should mirror the Second Lieutenant population of today." And so. If we look at the challenge of growing, growing our own leadership at the senior levels, um, that makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't take into account those other opportunities uh, between second lieutenant and colonel. Uh, and so, I, I, especially I think, uh, again, I would say especially for those that have the pedigree to be a general officer, because that's just not everybody. Okay, that's right. Right. It's just not everybody, and just know that that you know that that those doors fly open for those people. And and, I, and again, this isn't a Mike McNamara opinion. I got schooled on this by recruiters about how difficult it is, right? And all the different opportunities that young men and women who are athletic, right, who are academically gifted, leadership gifted. And that our minorities have across the board, and they say, and they say, look, any minority, if you have that, every major tech company is looking for you, right? Every major corporation is looking for you. You can essentially write your own ticket if you have that pedigree. So where do we fit in in that mix? And and we, you know, according to them, we try our hardest, man. We've been and we've been doing this for for years. It's a hard space to compete in, and which you know, I and again, I don't know that because, like you were talking about earlier, if you haven't done recruiting, you don't know what they go through. I mean, just ask them about finding right musicians for the Marine Corps band, and they will tell you legendary stories about going to bands all over their recruiting. Unnatural acts to find the musician. <laughs> exactly, to make up the Marine Corps band, right? I mean, and they they tell you really funny stories. But that's the lengths they go to, and they'll talk to you about the efforts that we put in. Now, again, at the end of the day, everybody, you know, we all understand diversity, right? We understand the nation that we come from, okay? But, again, I the thing I hear the most is, why is this ever, ever not ever, you know, balanced against our requirement to be operationally excellent? And it seems like... The Marine Corps, the Army, and the Air Force are not fa- are not far behind the United States Navy going down a path where all things are subordinate to how Woody's feeling today, what kind of mood he's in. And I know that's painting with a broad brush, but I'll tell you what, when you see trends like this for the Alumni Association, it is disturbing. An American warship burns in port for five days, and then the cherry on top and the sludge hammer to the stomach is the fire, the source of the fire was arson. It's just not, and, and so you can see this, this chafing, and so I, uh, yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they still have not uh, uh, identified uh, the sailor in any public manner. No. Um, there's I certainly didn't. good legal reasons for, uh, for doing that and, and protecting, uh, protecting the sailor's identity. Um, but I also, I, I have to wonder, 
that there is some other uh, strategic communications uh, uh, imperative at play there to, I don't want to say hide, but to protect the identity of that uh, of that sailor. I, th- I think. Yeah, a lot of people have speculated of- on that, Woody, because let me tell you, the Navy doesn't t- keep too many secrets well. Correct. You did not hear a word about this for, you know, almost a year. So, I, I mean, we will see when the other shoe falls. But think about this. In the next, what, 30, no 60, 60 days, you were, you know, I've heard that, you know, the Bonhomme Richard investigation will, be go, will go public. And I've been told that that is not a pretty investigation. I, I have no idea what's in it, but they said it is not going to make the Navy look good. At some point, you're also going to see, right, the investigation into the a the navy investigation uh into the somerset's uh, role in the av sinking off the coast of california and that is I, there's no way that that is going to look good because because the person that is ultimately responsible for the movement of those avs right mm-hmm. wears a united states navy uniform yes. right the combat information center aboard the somerset ultimately tells those vehicles to go or not to go and the Somerset has stayed largely out of this discussion. I don't know how, but it has. So, again, for the Navy, this is um, just brutal to watch because those of us who have been aboard United States Naval warships, not only as embarked troops, but in my case, as ship's company aboard the USS Ranger, you know, it's uh, I have a picture of the Ranger going under, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge with me standing on the bow of it with my Marines. I mean, I was tremendously proud of 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 being with them and love to watch them at work, whether we we be you know doing underway replenishment and watching CH forty sixes do this magical dance as we did a vert rep, whether we refueled at sea and in the middle of nowhere you're hearing music of the song of of, of the ship that you're refueling with, you know, and all the things that doing the shellback ceremony, all the things that and then I'll tell you what, and uh, in nineteen ninety seven when we were deployed. You know, we blew the shit out of a bunch of Iranian um, oil platforms in the Persian Gulf that were being used as to launch attacks on ships from, you know, under and my battle group under the command of Admiral Tony Less. And so those of us who have lived this, you know, this maritime life uh, that the Navy and the Marine Corps does, it's it's distressing to watch this. And so to me, there's there's heavy lifting to do. Relative to culture, how does this sort out and embrace both diversity and operational excellence? Because let me tell you what, the Chinese aren't worried are worried about one thing, excellence. They're not worried about anything else. And if you're not up to that task, it'll be done in short order, in my opinion. And so you're absolutely right. And you know what? It it, it is upsetting for us who, uh, you know, do draw sea pay, um, but it it should be upsetting. For the average American, uh, because and I've, I've said this on the show in the past, uh, really since since 1898, uh, the United States has been an an ascending and dominant global power, primarily because we are a naval power. If that changes, uh, and I'll say if that changes any more than it already has, then we will cease to be a global power. And all the other domains, uh, cyber, space, air, etc., uh, we will we will cease to be dominant in those as well. Uh, so there, 
we are we are built on a foundation of naval commerce that is built on naval security and uh, if we cannot deliver that to our ourselves and and our allies and the rest of the world uh, then the world changes in a very bad way yeah no that, again interesting times we live in and and again people have got to be up for the discussion right to include the footnotes so that you can chart you know a path in excellence that embraces what we are as a nation this experiment in democracy and so again right now i i think again the frustration is i want to hear the cno say you know we're going to have a rip roaring discussion about race about gender about sexuality right and we're going to expose our sailors and marines to this broad spectrum of thought and we're going to listen to all voices and we're going to become a better organization and we're going to teach critical thinking how do you look at this argument how do you include all perspectives even the ones you don't like to come up with a better you know force that is operationally excellent right and as diverse as that can be and that's the question and 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 again so but again, uh, it's just this, uh, I mean, you hear the word rush to woke um, and all of that tremendous political pressure uh, in all of that. And so, uh, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it's, how's it, how it sees out and again, how it shakes out. And again, I think as we watch Afghanistan wind down, the inability of military leaders, right, to not replicate the sins of Vietnam. I don't know why, Woody, because you don't want to tell people the truth, the bad news. I mean, it, it doesn't paint us in the best picture in terms of our highest leadership doing the thing that they all say they'll do, which is speak truth to power. But the ghost of Greg Newbold haunts all of this, right? And so... Yes, yes. So it's, and, and, and also the hesitancy to speak truth to power when that power holds your bank account. Yeah, when it's going it, it is and and that's the tr- that's the test of it all, right? Will you do it when it will cost you your job? The ghost of General Shinseki. Right? Right. All he all General General Shinseki's sin was in a public forum he quoted the war plan. Correct. That's that that was his sin and for that <laughs> He was yeah. he, he he was he was fired by Don Rumsfeld because it didn't it didn't match the party line. And that's why these things get in my again, they get very, very difficult because it's kind of an interesting discussion. The people General Myers, who was the chairman, two thousand what, three, four, uh, mm-hmm. and General Franks both served in Vietnam. Unlike Woody and I, who grew up in the shadow of those guys and, and the guys who led us, we got it pounded into our head all the time that we would never again fight a war like that. We would never again go down that path because it was it was a betrayal right, of all that we hold holy to include that oath we take, owing special trust and confidence. We won't do that again. We weren't allowed to wear jungle boots, bush covers, or any utility that, that dried out within three hours of getting wet because, <laughs> because we were sprinting away from the Vietnam experience. And then, and then guys not like we and I, you know, who, who were led by guys 
who fought there, but guys who actually fought there didn't speak truth to power and say, you know, Myers who flew combat missions for the Air Force out of Thailand, you know, and Franks was an artillery officer in Vietnam. They didn't see the parallels. They didn't do their job. And we spent 20 years on a fool's errand trying to create something that's never existed on the planet. And now we're all going to watch it, you know, go back to some form of what it was. And so this concept of speaking truth to power and as Woody just articulated, at the peril of your own professional existence, that's the test. And we don't don't have a great record. One nuance on that that I've I've always thought was was relevant is I think, honestly, um, if it were only that individual general, admiral, senior officer's career, that was at stake. So the new bold, the, uh, the Shinseki uh, issue, if that were all that was in play, um, I think, I think most many more would in fact draw that line in the sand and throw their rank insignia on the deck. And that would be it. But for all of them, there's more at stake and that is their service budget. And, and it might seem, oh, there's no way our lawmakers would play politics with the defense budget. Really? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> and it doesn't matter what party that is. Um, I mean, the simple fact of the matter is any time there are um, uh, appropriations bills uh, working their way through the houses of Congress, uh, the, the special interests, the partisan interests, the home district pork interests, the agendas of social engineers, the individual hobbies of lawmakers all come into play. And the, the, the choice of a, uh, a general officer or an admiral, a service chief or other senior leader is not just to publicly disagree and, and take the consequences as an individual uh, uh, member of the service and, you know, and end a career uh, in that manner. Um, it also has impact then on that service's resources and the ability to deliver on the mission of that, that service and its, its subordinate major commands, its units, its, you know, for the Marine Corps capabilities across the MAGTAF um, will, will evaporate uh, in the bureaucracy of programming and budgeting because they will not be supported by uh, those, those political leaders. So, uh, you know, if it were if it were just the individual, uh, I think they'd they'd jump on that grenade. Uh, but they know that they don't just hurt themselves. Uh, so not a, not a defense there, but maybe a little more a little more sad context to this whole discussion. So much for our so much for our uplifting interview. Uh, yeah. Well, you, well, let me tell you. This is one of the things I appreciate with Woody about Woody. Most people that will, that will come on All Marine Radio won't talk about any of this, right? Except Woody's foolish enough to talk about it. <laughs> no, but again, I, and what I find is these are the conversations that people want to hear, which is, you know, uh, dare I say articulate, footnoted, measured discussions about the hard questions that the nation faces, that the DOD faces, that the Marine Corps face, the Navy faces, that are footnoted. And how do you get through them, right, accomplishing your mission, right, and living up to, you know, what you're supposed to do for the nation? And um, I don't know. To me, I just hear a lot of shrill voices and a lot, not a lot, not enough 
measured, thoughtful people involved. And that's disturbing. That's disturbing. That's disturbing. The um, Am I going to see you in Springfield? Are you going to be there? At the... Um... At the Marine Corps uh, League oh, thing, at the leagues, at the leagues uh, convention. No, yeah. no, I'm not. I'm not personally going to be there, but uh, but my bosses are. Oh. So uh, you'll see uh, you'll see General Faulkner out there for sure. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's good. The um, do you want to talk about the August issue, or do you want to? Sure, I'll give, uh, I'll give a little bit of an overview there. So why know, don't hey, why don't you give us an overview and come back on in a couple of weeks, and you can talk yeah. about it again. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. All I right. think that'd be uh, that'd be the best thing to do because. Just like this discussion we've been having, as I put it, this this is sort of the software of the future. Recruiting recruiting the Marines, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we, we're talking about the people aspect. Um, August is focused on the on the hardware ac- aspect, um, and uh, the bulk of the articles uh, are uh, are coming from Marine Corps Systems Command uh, uh, to include letters from. Uh, General A.J. Pasagian, Brigadier General Pasagian, who is the, the commander of, of Marine Corps Systems Command. Who's, let me just tell you, A.J. Pasagian is a great, great guy. Okay. I agree. He's, I agree. I'll tell you what, you want, you, guy who's got leader written all over him, Pasagian. Yeah, anyway. And, and leading in a, uh, uh, let's, let's, a very unsexy, again, uh, niche community within the Marine Corps. Just just like you don't know anything about recruiting unless you've been on recruiting duty, uh, by definition, uh, Marines don't know anything about acquisitions unless they are acquisitions professionals and serve in that uh, in that command and that that functional area. Um, and so again, this this uh, August edition, as in past years, is also something of a uh, uh, an education on on what. Uh, what really goes on in the acquisitions community? Um, so there's there's introductory letters from both uh, General Pasagian and his, his Sergeant Major, Sergeant Major Cato, um, and then you know we start right off with uh, uh, delivering on Force Design 2030, an overview article of the acquisitions programs that are currently underway uh, that deliver on the capabilities required by that that future inside force of 2030. Um, and so what I, as an overview, what I would say is interesting in all of this is so much of the discussion publicly about the Commandant's initiatives in Force Design 2030 um, have centered on what the Marine Corps is losing, uh, what the Marine Corps is divesting of or, or reducing or, or, go, or, or, or stepping back from. We're losing tanks. We're losing towed artillery. We're losing this. We're losing that read the August edition to see the other side to that argument. This is what the Marine Corps is investing in. These are the capabilities for Marines, for warfighters, that the service is buying. Uh, and so I think from, from that aspect alone, it, it helps as a, as a bookend, as a counterpoint to complete that discussion, um, which again has, has really sort of uh, 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 devolved into uh, fist shaking over what we're, we're, we're divesting of or we're not going to have. In future, um, uh, the other the other overview comment I'd make is you've got some some articles in there that really get into the details of of uh, uh, again some of those below the waterline activities that go on uh, in the acquisition community. Um, you know to include what what operational testing really means. 
you know, how new technologies and automation uh, uh, affect that and also affect the entire maintenance and life cycle of this equipment that, uh, that uh, the Marine Corps invests in. Uh, and you've also got a, uh, an article in there about the installation side, how, how with uh, a force that is now being projected into this, uh, you know, this, this EABO, Expeditionary Advanced Base Operations Environment, how the installations that those Marines deploy from uh, need to change uh, and uh, and really redefine the purpose of the installations for that uh, that future mission. Uh, so so a good overview there. Not not exclusively uh, uh, in that acquisitions area. I'll throw one, uh, two more highlights out uh, for you real quickly. Um, I've got a um, uh, an article. So taking the opposite view of uh, of force design and sort of a report card at this snapshot in time, uh, uh, Bing West, uh, Francis J. West, well-known uh, published author, uh, wrote an article for us entitled, A Force in Readiness or a Force in Stasis. And it's his assessment uh, of uh, the progress uh, and lack thereof uh, with regard to force design 2030. So I, uh, I really recommend that one. And for your listeners' information, uh, starting this week, that article will be available as uh, as free content on our website. So anybody anybody, whether you're a member of the association or not, can uh, uh, can come and take a look at that. And then um, the other uh, the other article in that area, talking about future force design, uh, you know, sort of telling the rest of the story, is by uh, First Lieutenant Matthew Shirey, and the title of that article is "Don't Lose Sight of the Lance Corporal." Uh, The focus of that article is on the risks that are presented when uh, service level training exercises take on uh, uh, the role of service level experimentation. So in other words, when you're using the unit's training, maybe a capstone or graduation level training exercise to achieve other goals that are uh, uh, geared towards uh, the experimentation effort at unit organization or using equipment uh, that is that is in the uh, uh, the experimentation or development process what who and what winds up paying the price for that and often it is the quality and completeness of the training at the individual marine level uh, and so so a uh, very interesting counterpoint article there uh, you know dissenting opinion if you will uh, from a uh, from a, a lieutenant uh, you know, serving serving at the at the deck plate level, at the fighting hole level of leadership. You know, I again, it's not. Um, I, I I'm sure you have interesting conversations, Woody. I'd love to be a fly on your wall some days because um, I, I think one of your um, I think one of your uh, more responsibilities is to encourage dissent. Right, which expands the argument and 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 brings, dare I say, greater granularity uh, to the argument. And so, um, so I want to commend you for that because I'm sure that there's some people that that get very displeased with you that you're giving dissenting voices a platform, especially you know a platform like the Gazette, to express to 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 expound or espouse their naysayer 
you know, point of view. You know, in in Big West case, not a you know, <laughs> pretty powerful, you know, voice. So I, I want to commend you for doing that because I think that is your moral responsibility. But we, as we just talked about earlier, when you got to go to the cocktail party with them and you got to stand in the room, it gets a little uncomfortable, right? <laughs> when you are somebody that promotes what I believe to be vibrant discussion, right? Vibrant discussion. And that's, that's essentially what we should be about. Um, exactly. And, and we are, and I, I'd point this out. It's, it's a lot less, uh, uh, it's a lot less uncomfortable than, than you might think. And that is a very, uh, positive uplifting, if you will, statement about the intellectual culture of the Marine Corps. And I didn't create this. I, I inherited it as the, as the steward of the Gazette, but you, you look at the Gazette historically, and it has always been uh, a forum for uh, debate and, and discussion and disagreement, uh, you know, point and counterpoint. Uh, it, is, it has always served a public information function as well, but it's never been the, uh, the mouthpiece for a, uh, you know, a service party line. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged because, sure, it, it does... It does draw a little fire every now and again, but overall, every every Marine, every senior Marine, every former Marine who's in a uh, uh, you know defense uh, civilian leadership role, they recognize that that's the DNA of the Gazette, and they're okay with it. Well, again, first of all, you've been shot at before, so that should bother you. But again, <laughs> I, it, everybody, and just know this, everybody, you know. Um, Everybody says they'll speak truth to power, but I'm sure it it has cost you relationships. I'm sure, you know, people say things about you. Um, I just want to commend you because I think that is that is your greater greatest responsibility is to be a steward of the discussion. And I think a lot of time, and I let me tell you, I know because it happens to me. You know, you heard from, you know, you know, the third shitter on the left that General So and So, who you know and respect is bad-mouthing you because they got bad-mouthed in a discussion about an event. And my response is, first of all, why is he listening to this? I mean, um, but is his skin that thin? Look, he was a general in the Marine Corps. His decisions or her decisions are going to be scrutinized. Sorry. But, but again, you hear it, and it does have an impact, right, because it does land with a thud because of your respect for that person. And so a lot of times that impacts people's behavior. And I just want to commend you. You deserve high grades for that. So so anyway. All right, Woody. First of all, I appreciate you you doing this. So I'll give you a call in a couple of weeks um, um, after I see your boss and uh, we talk about your fitness report this year. And, uh, and uh, I'll, hey, I'll I'll hook you up. I'll 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 put a good word for you, and uh, and then we'll you can come back and we'll talk about August a little bit. Sounds good. All right, bud. Thank you. All right, thank you. Out here. That is Chris Woodbridge here. All Marine Radio. More of this fine program coming up next on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.